Good morning, Valley Bible Church. I think you all need to move into the middle. Man, what is this? Got a horseshoe going on. Yes. What is wrong with these people? (laughs) We love you. We love you. Stand up and greet and move. Did you already do that? Oh, yeah. So, anyway, I'm not sure who to talk to this morning. I'm going to be divided in my loyalties. I don't know what you in the middle are, but we've got... (laughs) Uh, north against south over here. Good morning. It's good to see you. We're continuing in our study of uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 13. Thank you, Rex and Kathy. And Yes. Yes. Man, look at this. I love you guys. <laughs> yes, we're in 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 13, which is the love chapter. And uh, a lot to look at in chapter 13. And so we're going to kind of be here for a little while, camping out, uh, talking about uh, what love is and what love is not. And so we have sung, I'd like us to pray, and then we will read a short portion. So that means you're going to stand in a moment. But let's take a moment to pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. Shall we do that, please? We praise you this morning for the snow. It brings a fresh perspective on a day that you have chosen and made for us. It causes us once again to think of your sovereignty over all of creation and the providence that works out in daily events. We ask, Lord God, that we might see your purposes in all these things. We pray this morning that you would help us with our minds to understand your word. Pray that you would also feed our emotions, that we would be loving people as you are a loving God. And I pray that you would quicken our wills, that we would choose by the power of your spirit to be the people that we are made to be in Christ, to demonstrate your love as it has been demonstrated to us in Christ. So to that purpose, we turn in your word and we pray your blessings on it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 13, we're going to take a moment to read the first four verses only this morning. Uh, We read the whole chapter last week. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, and so all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, training in righteousness. Please stand as we read God's Word, for this, we know, is the moment that God speaks to us for sure. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous, love does not brag, and is not arrogant. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The question this morning is, what is love? What is love? And we're going to look at love's attributes. 
In other words, the characteristics of love, how uh, love is is found. If you just look at verse four that we we read in in your Bibles, you can fill in your notes right there. All you got to do is look at. It's very very simple. We're going to be going through a list. And you look at your, your notes, you can fill in one, two, three, four, five just by looking at verse four, because we are looking at um, love's attributes. And Paul just writes this list. And in this list, he tells us what love is and what love is not. He doesn't say, according to the current Koine Greek dictionary, agape love is this. He does not give a definition, he gives a description. And when we see it, we know it. We know it because it's obvious to us what love is, what it is, and what it is not. It is just obvious what love means. And those are the attributes of love, the characteristics of love, what love is like. And we'll be looking at that in verses 4 through 7, next couple of weeks here. So just in review, real quick, remember we looked at last week... Um, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if I don't have lo- love, it's meaningless. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I know all mysteries and have all knowledge and I have all faith, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And then he said, if I give everything away to feed the poor, and even if I give myself up as a self-sacrifice, but I don't have love, there's no profit in it. So the review is is Paul is not saying that it is gifts or love he is saying it is spiritual gifts plus love equals spiritual edification so it's not one or the other it's not okay we're talking about spiritual gifts but just forget about those let's just talk about love because that's the most important thing and then we'll talk about spiritual gifts again in chapter 14 what paul is doing with chapter 13 is he's marrying these ideas together spiritual gifts of themselves don't amount to much. And like I said last week, even love without action and without spiritual gifts is nothing more than sentimentality. So we have this equation, another divine math equation, spiritual gifts plus love equals spiritual edification. You cannot have one without the other. Now we're only talking about one verse this morning. One verse, verse 4. So I want you to be patient, okay? It's the loving thing to do, to be patient with me this morning. They were only covering one verse. And we have to pay attention to the immediate context as well. We have to remember, and this is the first rule of hermeneutics, what does the text mean to the original audience? And we have the whole book of 1 Corinthians, our study, 1 through 13 so far. We knew this is a troubled church, a lot of things going on. And so it's important, and we would do well as we go along, to, to think about, How would the Corinthians hear this? What would they be thinking? And then then we can move on to ourselves, because our uh, immediate uh, go-to when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, our temptation is to go straight to the application. Well, we start needling our spouse next to us. We're talking about patience, you know. And we start talking about uh, marriage and child-rearing and relationships with our neighbors and different kinds of things and we'll come to that, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that, but we need to understand that, that Paul was writing to the Corinthians and the problems that they had. In the end, 
This chapter is written in such a way that it has universal application in every situation of life. Now, more preparation for verse 4. Love is action. Love is action. If you look at the list, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, all of these... Our English translations describe these as adjectives because we don't have verbs for most of these words. But in the original language, every one of these are verbs. Every one is a verb, present tense. Every one is a verb. In other words, and they are active verbs. Love is doing something in the present, in the now. Love is always applicable Love is always actionable. Love is always to be played out in our lives right now in the things that we do. So love is action rather than just emoting. Um, We have a tendency to think of love in our culture as primarily a feeling. And we don't want to... We don't want to empty love of emotion, and that's the problem with a lot of definitions of agape love, is you end up with an, a, a, a loveless love, a love that is all, you've got to do this, and you must do that, whether you feel like it or not. And there has to be more to it than that. There has to be a, a proper motivation, something that moves us to a genuine love and not just something that we do out of rote because we have a list. So it is action, but it is, it, it is not devoid of emotion in any way. And we'll talk about that further as well. One of the commentators uh, that uh, we guys have found very helpful, <coughs> pardon me, in 1 Corinthians is a, a man by the name of Thistleton. And he, he has his own t- translation, as most commentators do. They have their own translation of the passage. And this is the way that he has, has rendered verse 4 with the verbs rather than just descriptive adjectives. Love waits patiently because love is patient as a verb. Love shows kindness, kindness rather. Love does not burn with envy, does not brag, is not inflated with its own importance. You see, the the action of love, it is something that is expressed in our behavior. So we, we again want to make sure that we will pick up the proper motivation and the power to have genuine love and not just doing things out of gut instinct. So let's get right to it. Verse 4a, love is patient. Love is patient. And here is the reason that we're only doing verse 4 because we could talk all morning about patience, right? Is this a subject that we could talk about for a long time? Yep. Every one of us could talk about, uh, we could talk about it, we could do a whole series on patience. My patience was tested this morning. I went out the door driving, got about a, ha- about a mile away from the house and realized I forgot my iPad in the snow. And so I was not kind with myself because I was, and I was tested all of a sudden. All of a sudden, the blood pressure goes up. I got to get to church, and, I'm, and it's snowy, and I got to run all the way home. And circumstances sometimes 
sometimes always test our patience, don't they? Circumstances and people. The word patient, um, as Thistleton said, love waits patiently. Love waits patiently. The word patient, patient here, is a con- compound word that means to suffer long. And that's a, a, a definition that you often see in, in some translations. Love suffers long. In other words, there, love puts up with a lot of stuff and doesn't blow up. It just holds up. It hangs in there in the face of irritations in our life. And we have many of them. People irritate us. Circumstances irritate us. But love waits patiently. It is long-suffering. Paul was patient with the Corinthians. Just think about it. He spent a year and a half with them, teaching them, admonishing them, finally had to leave. We know that he wrote probably four letters. We know there were at least three visits to Corinth, and that's not like, I'm just going to run to Seattle in my car. You know, going from, you know, to Corinth from Jerusalem, at least three visits, that is a monumental journey by boat and by foot. He was long suffering. He was patient with them. He could have given up on this church. You know, our title is Truth for the Troubled Church. They were troubled and he could have just, oh, I can't deal with these people anymore. I'm done with the Corinthians. They're on their own now. And Paul did not give up on them. And I think that is very, very clear. He always appeals to them with love and with compassion. He speaks hard truth to them when necessary. But he does so with great love. So patience is this long, long temperedness. Again, circumstances. People, they peek at us. They pick at us. They irritate us. But it means you have a long fuse. It burns and burns and burns, but it doesn't blow up. This is the ability, uh, the ability to put off the imperfections of other people and to lovingly endure those imperfections every single day. So in a passive sense, patience is withholding anger. Patience is withholding outbursts. Patience is withholding unkind words. Patience is withholding stern looks. That's what patience is. For me, uh, this, I was tested this morning. One of the things that test my patience. You ever notice that we have stupid drivers on the road? Those people who drive slow, they don't use their turn signals. I mean, and then the other thing is whenever I go shopping, men, you're like me. You know, I'm on a mission. I got to go grab this, this, this. And you got to find the the shortest checkout line, right? And I'm always watching as I'm getting closer. Okay, which one is going to get me through the quickest? And I always choose the wrong line. Because I get right up behind the lady whose card doesn't work. Or the pineapple didn't scan, and then I'm watching the line next to me, and people are just going and going and going and going, and that tests my patience. You know what? Another thing that really tests me, tests my patience, customer service phone calls. I mean, people are incompetent, right? 
And those company policies are moronic, right? So why do I have to put up with it? To make me like Jesus. That's why. Even to people that are perfect strangers to me. That I would be like Jesus over the phone, and I confess sometimes I am not. Or in the checkout line, or driving, or whatever it may be. Why do I have to put up with it? Because God wants to make me a better man. He wants to teach me patience. My wife has put up with my imperfections since the day we met. I still have them. I have grown. She has grown. But I will always have things that I struggle with in my life. We all will. For our entire life, there will be imperfections, sin patterns that we will never fully have control of. And when we are tempted to, to, to anger and when, we're, when our patience is tempted, we have to rule our spirits. It may mean a time out. It may mean that we are, we're recognizing the, the deeds of the flesh are, are anger and fighting and strife. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, walking, keeping in step with the Spirit, recognizing that this is a spiritual endeavor and God will help you, but you need His help to rule your spirit and for patience to come forth. You see, we want people to change on our timetable, right? We want our spouse to change now or yesterday, and they want uh, the same of us. Our timetable. We want our kids. Why can't you ever get it right? When are you ever going to learn this? We want people to be the way we want them to be, and we want them to be that now. And you know what? That means we're not patient with God. Because we are saying, God, this, you, you made this person. Why can't you change them? God brought them into our lives for a purpose. And we are being impatient with God when we are impatient with others. So here's an application. It's a bit of an ouch one, okay? I want you to ask yourself the question, how patient has God been with you? Think for a moment, what is the sin that you struggle with that over and over again, again, you say, God, please take this away. Please help me. Please forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me again. Here I am again, Lord. I'm, I'm confessing it one more time. When will I ever get this right? Would you please help me? What is that thing? You know what it is. Now, how patient then are you with others? Should we not... Be as patient with others as God is with us. Isn't that what godliness is? To be patient as God is patient? Isn't that what holiness is? To be patient as God is patient? Isn't that what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and patience. Isn't that what it means to love another person? To be patient with them. And the second application here is this 
God puts imperfect people in our lives to perfect us. And I don't mean he's going to make us perfect. You know the, the biblical meaning of the word. He wants to mature us. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to grow us. He wants us to let go of our carnality and our sin. And he wants us to be more like Jesus. He wants to be, us to be spiritual people. And so how does that happen? He puts imperfect people in our lives. Because that's all he has to work with. There isn't any other kind of person in the world. Only us. Only imperfect people. So thank God. I mean, we should probably thank God for the imperfect people that he has placed in our lives because he loves us and he wants to grow us. And once you start thinking of your spouse, your children, your co-workers, your brother, your sister, whoever it is, as God's instrument in your life to grow you, when you start thinking of that, then you can love them better and then you stop looking down on them as an enemy because they're not. They're God's useful tool in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ. Okay, we could keep talking about patience, right? The second one, and this is a list, remember, love is kind. Love is kind, and this is really the active side of patience. Love, uh, excuse me, uh, patience and kindness go together. Uh, Thistleton's uh, uh, rendering was this once again, love shows patience, love shows patience and excuse me, shows kindness rather love shows kindness. Kindness is more than just niceness. Kindness is active goodness on behalf of others. It's actually doing something. Patience is kind of withholding, not doing something, you know, Holding on to your temper, holding on to your words and your facial expressions. But kindness is then filling that void with kind things, with good things that benefit the other person. Patience waits and withholds an an unloving response. While kindness is active and gentle and gives a loving response. This is found in God. I mean, he is the, the perfect example of patience and kindness to us Romans 2 4 Paul was writing to the Romans and he said to them do you think lightly of the riches and kindness and tolerance and patience do you think do you think lightly of God's riches and kindness and patience are you not aware he says that the kindness of God leads to repentance we often think that it is um, a fear of damnation that leads people to repentance. Sometimes it is a fear of judgment. But we see a relationship of patience and kindness. On one hand, God's loving patience withholds wrath. And he withholds the judgment that is due to us. While on the other hand, his kindness is found in his mercies that are new every morning. The common graces that every believer sees. They get up this morning and they see the beauty of snow. And it is. And they get their coffee cup out and they open up the window and they're going to sit by the fire. And it's, it's a blessing of life. It's a kindness of God. But the, the rain comes and it gives 
It causes things to grow. The sun comes up every day. The common graces that every human being experiences in this causes some, once he makes them aware of it, they see God is so kind and he is so patient in withholding his wrath. I repent. And that's what kindness is. The Apostle Paul had demonstrated such kindness to the Corinthians in so many ways with the, the letters and the visits and those kinds of things. Why? Because, why was it so kind? Because the Corinthians lacked patience with him. They called into question his apostleship. Remember at the outset of the book, it's, Paul said, there is, I heard from Chloe's people that there's quarreling amongst you. You guys are fighting. That's not kindness, is it? In chapter 3, he said, there's strife among you. And in 5.8, he said, there's malice and wickedness. Surely these must have included unkind words and unkind deeds amongst the Corinthians. Taking one another to court. Excluding certain people from the Lord's table. So for us, the lesson is simple. Patience without kindness is incomplete. It's one thing to be patient and say, well, yeah, I held my tongue and I could have said a lot of things that I didn't say. But did you say something you could have said? Yes, I, I have a long fuse and I held it in and I could have done a lot of things that did a lot of damage. But did you do something that could have helped the person you were impatient with? Patient with patience without kindness is not enough. The two go hand in hand. They go together. Yes, patience is restraint, but kindness is filling the void with, with words and deeds and things that are, are, are good. You'll not get far with sharp words, stern looks, storming out, slamming doors, Throwing down the plate, withholding affection, walking out of the house and peeling out in your truck. Men, that is so irresponsible and childish and unchristlike. Instead, we do not return evil for evil, but because Christ did not, but we show kindness and we do kind things. And maybe we've held our our tongue and maybe we have held our facial expressions, but then get up and clear the table or vacuum the floor or write a note of kindness. Fill that void with something that is good, that is loving, that is redemptive, that is edifying and builds up the other purpose. Just in general, in, in the church, there are so many acts of kindness um, and not only in the church, but in our neighborhood with the people that we, where, we, we, where we live and where we work. Um, kind words, sending, sending cards to people. Uh, people. You all send Tara and me cards all the time. And it is, I can't tell you how much, what a blessing it is and, and how many of those cards come just at the right time when I'm at the lowest point. Because I sometimes get at the, a low point. We all do, right? 
but thank you because they come at the right time. Phone calls, texts, emails, we can do that for one another. An invitation to dinner, volunteering to help. Someone said, I'm gonna, yeah, I gotta put up my fence tomorrow. I happened to mention that one day, um, when uh, the wind blew down my fence and boom, that afternoon, there's Greg putting up my fence. What a kind act that was. Even a kind attitude with which we do these things, not that we're doing them out of, well, God says I must, but because I want to, because I love this person. This is the more excellent way of love. This is the excellent way. Patience and kindness. Third one is love is not jealous. Again, in English, this is an adjective Jealousy is a, is, a, is a noun. Jealous is an adjective. Envy, I know some, some uh, translations render it that way. Um, Thistleton put it this way, love does not burn with envy. Love does not burn with envy. Because uh, the, the word jealousy here is the... the the form of the noun zealous. We get the word zealous from it. And so there's this intensity to this jealousy. And love doesn't burn with jealousy. Love doesn't burn with envy. Because it will eat us up. That's the idea. Jealousy over other people will eat us up inside if we do not handle it properly. However, I want to point out that this word is not always negative. In fact, Paul uses it positively. He said in chapter 12:31, in launching into this verse, this chapter, he said, earnestly desire the greatest, the greater gifts. Earnestly desire is the word be zealous. Be jealous in a positive way for the greater gifts. Chapter 14, 1, he's going to say it again. Desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Be zealous for them. Be jealous to pursue them. 1439. My brethren, desire earnestly to prophecy. Be zealous for it. Be jealous. So it's used in a positive way. So much so in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said of the Corinthians, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He was zealous. He was jealous for them. He loved them and it was intense. And I think it was emotional. But the Corinthians, no. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we show it on the screen. He says, and I, brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual men. But as to men of flesh, you're acting like unbelievers. As infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you're not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men, like unbelievers? You're living as if you don't even know Christ with the jealousy. So when he says, love is not jealous, the Corinthians stab, yep, got us there. Stepping on our toes. Because they were not spiritual people. The church of Corinth was filled with envy. It's not loving. 
It is not the pattern of Christ by which we are to live. We are not to envy and be jealous of what others would have. What, 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 why is that? What does that mean when we're jealous of other people? That means, that, again, we are dissatisfied with God and what He's given to us. Because we covet and we're jealous and we're envy of what someone else has. And we're then saying, God, you haven't been good to me. We question his goodness. The, the other side of, of this is contentment. Contentment with who you are. Contentment with how you have been made. What you have been given. Contentment with your circumstances. Even though they may test your patience. We can be jealous. We can zealously desire the things that are proper, but we can also zealously desire the successes and the gifts of other people. And that's what's happening here. Desiring the success and the, and the gifts of other people. You know what it's like when someone gets promoted over you at work. When someone is a church and they get more accolades than you, they're better than you, they're able to do something, maybe they're, they're even, you've been doing it for a long time, and someone's new, and they do it better. That hurts. And so they get more attention, and we become jealous, and that is of the flesh. Of course it's okay to admire the traits and the qualities and the abilities of others, and we should. But to wish at that point that something would happen to them or to think ill of them or to dislike them because of something that they've accomplished that we have not accomplished, that is sin. It really is sin. Here's a lesson I hope you will... I, I learned this a long time ago. Maybe I've given it once, uh, once before, but there will always be someone better than you. No matter what field you are in, Unless you're Tom Brady. There will always be someone who's better looking. There will always be someone who's stronger. Always be someone who is smarter. Always be someone who is more talented, etc., etc., etc. But you are not diminished by the success of others. Because the success of others in Christ is something that we are to rejoice in. We are to rejoice in the, the, in the truth and celebrate the successes of others in the body because the successes of others in the body is the success of the body, isn't it? That's what we have been seeing in 1 Corinthians 12. This is not a competition. We're all in this together to see the body succeed in glorifying Christ. And one is gifted more than another, but that's okay. Which brings us to the second lesson. You have been given the gifts that God has chosen for you. So don't get angry with God. I mean, you say, oh, I'm not angry with God. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But God has given you the gifts that you have been given. Use them. Just use them in love. Use them, use them properly. Use them in faith according to the, the measure of faith that he has given to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you have been made and redeemed and gifted with a purpose. 
to serve him in this body to his glory in a loving way. And so do that. But jealousy and envy are incompatible with love. Because love always seeks the benefit of other people. And rejoices when others succeed because it's our success. Because we are one body in Christ. The fourth adjective, the verb rather, this morning is love is not boastful. Uh, To be boastful means to praise oneself. Literally, that's what the word means. To praise oneself. To be a braggart. To praise oneself. If love is about others, then this is not love. Right? Because this... You know, being a boastful person is about me. It's about speaking about myself. Do you ever, have you ever known someone who talks incessantly about themselves? Everybody say, yep. We all know that person. We have all known that person. You can't get a word in edgewise. And love doesn't do that. Love does not boast in oneself. Instead of talking about oneself and saying, let me tell you about myself, love will say, tell me about yourself. And then listen. That's what love will do. That's what true love does. This is important in the book. Earlier on, Paul takes the Corinthians to task Chapter 1, verse 26, he said, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. He's, he's, he, he's uh, kind of knocking them down. Not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. And then verse 29, he says this, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ, his doing, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in yourself. It's okay to brag on your kids again a bit and Brag on your spouse a bit. It's okay to do that unless you are, it's all about you. But ultimately our boasting should be, I have got great kids because I have a great God. I have a great spouse because God gave her to me. Boasting in the Lord. Here's the lesson. Our only boasting should be in Christ. That's the only that's the only thing we should boast in. Our only boasting should be in Christ, because when we and we should understand our true self, when we understand our own sinfulness, when we understand our own self-centeredness, our own motives, and we get into all that and we understand every single day we need God's help to be loving, we should boast in him and not ourselves. People who brag build themselves up. And people who are jealous tear people down. 
The fifth is this. Love is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. The last part of verse 4. Um, and love is not arrogant. Thistleton's take on this was, love is not inflated with its own importance. Love is not inflated with its own importance because the word arrogant literally means to puff up, but even puff up is a figure of speech because what does that mean? But it means to be inflated, to be inflated about oneself. You have the wrong view, my friend, <laughs> when you think you're all that, when you think you're better than people, other people, when you think that uh, everybody, everything is about you, that's arrogance, and arrogance is pride. By the way, this, this word arrogance is used seven times in the New Testament, six of them in 1 Corinthians, because it was a problem. In Corinth, arrogance and pride was a problem in Corinth. This was an unloving characteristic of the Corinthians. He said in 4, 6, now these things, brethren, I have figured have applied to myself so that no one of you will become arrogant. 4, 18. Now some have become arrogant. 5, 2. Now you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead because of their misguided tolerance of immorality, sexual immorality. They become proud. Oh, yeah, we can put up with all sorts of sexual immorality. And here, love is not arrogant. It's not proud. And pride is at the heart of all sin. Is it not? It is. So the lesson for us Pride is opposite of humility. Pride is the opposite of humility. 2 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. We've already seen this in chapter 10. And this should, they should be recalling this once again because they have been arrogant. And the one who thinks, I've got this wired. You know, I've got this sin covered. I've got all of this going for me. Watch out. Because pride goes before a fall. And so we have to be humble. First Peter 5.5, 5, our second lesson. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at those words. God is opposed to the proud. I don't want to be there, do you? I don't want God to be opposed to me. I want His grace. I want to be a humble man where there's grace. And humility recognizes wrongdoing. You know that there are some people that would never even entertain the possibility that they are wrong about something. Have you ever met people like that? They wouldn't even think of it. I see it all the time in marriages. Where there is sometimes both spouses, but sometimes there is one or even a child. (coughs) Pardon me who just cannot admit that they were wrong. They cannot bring themselves to say the words, I was wrong, please forgive me. It's not in their their wheelhouse, it's not in their vocabulary. God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you at the proper time. Jonathan Edwards said, 
Nothing sets a Christian so much out of the devil's reach than humility. Nothing sets a Christian so much out of the devil's reach than humility. So in conclusion, and in conclusion, I would like you to begin preparing your elements for the Lord's table. But consider this, love's attributes are Christ's attributes. The character of Christ, the character of love rather, is the character of Christ. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Love's attributes are Christ's attributes. If you, and I read this, uh, some commentator somewhere long ago, if you were to substitute Jesus' name for the word love in this list, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus is not jealous, Jesus does not brag and is not arrogant, Jesus does not act unbecomingly, he does not seek his own, he is not provoked, he does not take into account a wrong suffered, etc., etc., etc. Now substitute your own name. Ben is patient. Ben is kind and is not jealous. Ben does not, I can't even go on. It's hard. And yet that is what we aspire to, is to be like Christ and to do this in love. Second of all, spiritual people are loving people. This is all about spirituality. Remember chapter 12, Paul said, now... Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning the spiritual things. Pneumaticos. You are to be spiritual people. And then he talks about gifts, and now he's talking about love. But it, it all comes back to remembering the context of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this without Him. You cannot be good without God. You cannot be loving without the Holy Spirit. It has to be a spiritual endeavor. Walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. So it is not emotionless. It is driven by God's love for us. It's not just be nice for goodness sake. Just do it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being so moved and motivated by God's love for us that we cannot help but love others by the power of His Spirit. And Romans 5.8 brings us to the table and the motivation for our love. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the motivation for love. This is how we love. It's through Christ. And when we walk out of here today, we recognize I just can't keep the list. I must do it out of a genuine love for Christ in a power of his spirit that he's given to me and placed in my heart and the word of God that he's given to me that, that lays hold of my heart and it comes by faith in him and this represents Christ living in us and we proclaim his death until he returns and until he returns we are to live 
as those who love him and love one another. Father, we thank you for the bread and the cup that demonstrates your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As we partake of this bread and cup, the body and blood, may we be filled with your spirit to love as Jesus loved, for he gave us that great commandment. We seek to do so in the power of Christ, by the blood of Christ, because of the redemption of Christ. Amen. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me.